I'm Anna Bailao. I'm in today for Maggie John. And each week at the, this time, we spend a good amount of time diving into one of the big news stories. And there's no doubt that this week, uh, the future of healthcare in, the, in this province and this, this country, actually, took center stage. Premier Doug Ford announced Ontario will lean more heavily on private care clinics, and the federal government is really close to inking a new finance deal with the provinces. But let's slow down. Let's understand how our healthcare system got here and what it will really take to fix it. And uh, that's why I'm so pleased and thrilled to have Leslie Boehm with us today. He uh, is joining us for the next two segments. And Leslie is a professor of health policy at the University of Toronto. He focuses on the history of Canadian health policies and for-profit clinics. Good morning, Professor. Good morning. Thank you for joining us today. So, My pleasure. Can, where did it all start? I mean, we all, we're all so proud of our Canadian health care system, and we tend to think that it's always been like this, but it, it hasn't been like this. So... Can you start uh, giving us a little bit of perspective at how the evolution of our healthcare system? Sure. So the what we call universal healthcare, UHC, so providing healthcare to everybody, was was an idea that really got hatched in Europe in the latter part of the 19th century. It kind of went in drips and drabs, if you will, and part of it was we didn't have the capability to really manage such a large system because, of course, you're going to have your entire population involved. Nonetheless, a lot of significant things happened, but it really got its its push during World War II, actually, by a, a British report called the Beaveridge Report, which came right out and said what we he He had five main areas, but probably the largest single one was health where he said, we are going to provide health care to every single Briton, and we are going to do it, their phrase was, free at point of use. The why it really took off, it was probably an idea that had just, you know, it was an idea of its time, if you will, but maybe uh, connected historically to things like if we were going to have universal conscription and people were going to put their most precious possession, their life on the line, maybe they were going to expect something in return. And so part of the reason for the Beaveridge Report is the British government wanted to do something to boost British morale. Beaveridge was expected just to tinker at the edges with, with something called national insurance, but he did anything but tinker at the edges. He came out with a radical proposal to provide health care to every single Brit at no cost. What then also happened is you had a bunch of governments in exile in Britain, and so when the war was won and they went back to their countries, they went back with those ideas. Canada was a little bit slow off the mark. After World War II, we were debating it interminably, but after World War II, it it, it really came to nothing. Mackenzie King had had a reconstruction conference. It had been front and center on that conference, but it was stillborn. But we had Tommy Douglas, and Tommy Douglas had been recently elected premier in 1944, June 15, 1944, was elected premier of Saskatchewan, um, and this was going to be what he was going to do. Tommy Douglas could not afford to go the whole route, couldn't afford to go Medicare, um, so he said, I'm going to 
start by providing universal hospital care. We like to think of Tommy Douglas as the father of Medicare, and indeed he is, but he was also a superb administrator. He had promised the people of Saskatchewan he would not go into debt, and that was the reason he couldn't go to medical insurance. And so he started with hospital insurance. And what that did for Canada was prove it could be done. On so January it started 3rd, in Saskatchewan, and, and, and it proved to the whole country that it could be done and, and, and it could be expanded, correct? Exactly. An academic, Malcolm Taylor, once said it was Banquo's ghost. You couldn't avoid that Saskatchewan had done it type deal. Then what happened is John Diefenbaker, when he became prime minister, from he was from Saskatchewan, knew all about what was going on. He said, I'm going to take hospital insurance nationally. And, to, and, and he did. And it worked. Um, and then what that then did was give Tommy Douglas 50 cents on every dollar that he had already been spending on hospital insurance. Tommy Douglas said, then I can go the medical insurance route. Um, and he did. And that then also became the Canadian template for medical insurance. Now, medical insurance was wonderful for Canada and a wonderful accomplishment, really, because we were tugged a lot by our southern neighbor. And, you know, we should do this privately and on and on and on. And so that we were a, and, and we really were going down that route until Tommy Douglas proved to us it could be done. We were going the U.S. route, not the European route. So Medicare itself, my opinion, was a tremendous accomplishment for Canada. And the U.S. fought it. The U.S. sent people and money up to Regina when Tommy Douglas was going to implement it. Many Canadians will know there was a, three, a little over a three-week strike by the doctors in Saskatchewan. And, but that, that faction, if you will, did not win. And Medicare came, was, came to fruition in Saskatchewan. And then nationally, again, we started to talk about it. And, and to this day, such a foundational difference between Canada and the U.S., right? When, that, when we talk about differences between our two countries, that is the first thing that comes uh, to the top of the list. You're right, Anna. And, and even more than that, what we have found... Canada is an example of this, but the, the European countries are as well. Most European countries, Britain especially so on this, but you can talk to almost any of them. The Italians would be another one, the French. They view this as a part of their national identity. We, we do, of course, and many times it gets mentioned that way. But almost all of these countries view this as a core piece of their identity. Uh, and And... To your earlier point, that's why it becomes important for us again, because we haven't really done that much with Medicare since we implemented it July 1st of 1968, and things have moved on. We are a much different population in 2023 than we were in 1968. We need things like pharmacare. We need things like mental health care. We were a very, very young population demographically in 1968. That's not the case anymore. Yeah, and Leslie, I think that the system is feeling it because, you know, it's things are not working the way that they were. The pressures are much bigger. And I think that's why governments feel like they need to act, right? I mean, there's a lot of challenges in the system right now. Mm -hmm. The question is is this the solution for it or not, correct? <laughs> no, you're right. And, and to you, you know, where you began this, for example, what Premier Ford wants to do, and then also what's getting discussed amongst the health ministers federally, provincially, territorially, 
Canada, I mean, we really need to start taking a look at the issues because they're piling up. And at some point, it's almost going to seem insurmountable. Um, we, we have sat on our hands. Um, a, a Princeton academic who has actually an undergrad at the University of Saskatchewan when Tommy Douglas was, was implementing Medicare, he, he was brought back to Saskatchewan on, the, on their 50th anniversary of Medicare, and he made a statement which has always stuck with me. Um, he was involved in helping Taiwan develop their system, and he said, you know, in 1962 and then 1968 nationally, you guys had one of the world's better systems. But he said, I fear you sat on your hands since, and I fear the world is passing you by. And I think it's a very accurate statement. And we can put I this think in- people are feeling it, Leslie. Yeah. Which is even the more important thing, right? It's like Canadians are feeling it. You're quite right. And, 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 you know, this is where it becomes complex, I'm thinking, because we can put it at, at the feet of government, and, and indeed, uh, you know, aptly so, but it's also us as Canadians. I think we Canadians start need, to, need to start having a dialogue on what type of system do we want. Here's Premier Ford wants to go a private route to, to address some of this backlog, has indicated it would stay in place even after the backlog is addressed. Is that what we want to do? I mean, we Canadians have to start having that debate. We have BC, who has chosen a completely opposite route. BC has said we value our public health care system and we will not go this route. Um, and actually, the head of the Green Party at BC last week made a really good statement. She said something like, we should stop reacting to, and in Ontario's case, inviting the, the private sector into health care, and we should start building a really, really good public sector. And just don't worry about the private sector, if you Leslie, will make the public I, sector. I'm going to have to stop for a little break, but we're going to pick up on this conversation right after the break. Okay. Uh, stay right there. I'm Anna Bailao. You're listening to This Weekend on 640 Toronto. And welcome back. I'm Anna Bailao, and today for Maggie John, our conversation about the future of Canada's healthcare system continues. With me today is Professor of Health Policy, Leslie Boehm. And Leslie, thanks again for being here. And uh, we were just talking about uh, this idea of private services within a public system, right? And one of the things that I hear from a lot of people is, um, well, the government is not really privatizing anything. There's already a, a lot of private clinics. When you go to take a, get an ultrasound, when you go to a doctor, those are all private offices. Is that really what it's being talked about here? Is just an expansion of that? Or do we even know what we're really talking about here? What, what's your take on that? That's a good question. <laughs> um, I'm not sure Canadians do truly know what's being talked about. Um, so maybe let me unpack it just a bit. There is a fundamental shift in what Premier Ford wants to do in that he's moving some surgeries out of the public sector and into the private sector. Um, That becomes important for Canadians for two reasons, in my view. Number one, it is is increasing the size of the private sector in healthcare, and is that what we want? And, 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 And the reason that question becomes important is because the public sector has one overriding objective, and that is service. It is meant to provide a service as defined by a government to the people of Canada. The, 
There is also an issue of accountability. The accountability of that system is to a government. And, and depending how the government structures it, Saskatchewan did it a bit differently. It, it was accountable to a legislature. Um, and, and so therefore, really, you know, it's accountable to the people everybody elected. When you go into the private sector, the predominant objective is to make a profit, and the accountability is to a very narrow group, the shareholders, and of course the major shareholders at that. And so Canadians need to ask, is that the type of system we want? Because it's, the service is going to be delivered in, if you will, a different spirit, depending on whether the objective is to serve you or the objective is to make a profit. So there is, there's that element involved. Um, and, and so the other piece of it, however, is, and back to your question, is that we already, as you were hinting at, have a fair significant piece of our healthcare system, system that is private, roughly 30%. Um, Canadian Institute of Health Information, CAIHI, as we call it, publishes this all, every year, and it's always maintaining itself at around 30%. So what does that mean? That means things like pharma, if, drugs outside of a hospital. If you're in hospital, if they're free, they're covered. But, uh, but, but the moment you're discharged from the hospital, if you need a continuing prescription, you're paying. It, things like dental care, you're paying. And on mental health care, you're paying, and on and on it goes. So add all of these up, you're up to 30%. You are then getting on a, at a very important piece of this, because if you were to compare Canada to other countries, what you would find is Canada is the only developed nation with universal health care that provides only two services, those being hospitals and doctors. If you were to go throughout Europe, you are going to find that those governments are providing a much wider array of services, the ones we've mentioned, like at least part of mental health care, they provide drugs, some of them provide part, dental, all of this type of thing. So that raises two, and, and here's the real clincher. These countries spend roughly the same amount of GDP on health care as we do. And so then, of course, the question posing itself is, how can they do it? How can they spend roughly the same amount of money as we do and yet provide so much more? And that is a, a question I think that we Canadians need to wrestle with. But even more important, let's just say we've got a whole bunch of excuses as to why it needs to be that way. And so then we say the only way we can get more health care is to pay more in taxes. Well, Britain has done a number of polls on this, and the Brits have said repeatedly that they are willing to pay more taxes if those increased taxes are going to go to augment their NHS. So if Britain is any representative example, people are willing to pay more. That is how much they value their health care system. I, I think what we're seeing here in Canada as well is that people want action on this file. I think governments realize that. That's why they're all on it as well. I think there's been a shift and, and people are like, just stop arguing with each other and, and deal with the situation. Um, I think you're right, Professor, it's, 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 you know, what kind of change is coming uh, our way as well. And there's another issue that I keep hearing about, which is the lack of nurses and doctors. And I, I don't understand how this solution is going to deal with that, uh, which, is, which is, seems to be a huge problem 
uh, for the sector and why there's so many delays, there's so many, you know, issues with our healthcare system. So how are we going to deal with the shortage of nurses and doctors by having more private sector? Where are they going to get these nurses and doctors? Well, that's a really good question because, of course, you can't just pull them out of the air. Canada only has so many. And um, there's been some of this discussion during this past week, and the worry is that the private sector will now siphon them out of the public sector, and, and then the public sector will hurt even more, if you will, and that is very much a distinct possibility. But your your question is really well put because... We've had Alberta, Saskatchewan that have gone this route, for example, um, much the same route Ontario wants to go. And it hasn't been a stellar outcome. Uh, Saskatchewan started this quite a while ago, in 2010. And at first, it was just really great. And uh, they were addressing their waiting lists, and everybody was a happy little camper. But now, 2023, they're right back to where they were in 2010. So it hasn't proven to be any sort of a panacea at all. Um, and, and so the issue, and, you, and you're right, so we, we, if you will, a government, and as you say, and I think you're absolutely right on this, Canadians are getting a bit impatient, um, and it, they'll start to be getting a bit cranky, I would suspect, at some point. Um, and so they should. Um, and, and so I think we need to start having very fundamental discussions about what types of health professionals do we need. Does it always need to be a doctor? Could it sometimes be a nurse practitioner? Things like that. And, and, and once we've decided upon some of that, what do we need? Do we need some more doctors? Do we need nurse practitioners? Do we need more n- nurses themselves? Is, is uh, that part of the solution, Professor? Because I, I don't want us just to be talking about, you know, the problems of, of, of the solution that is in front of us. I, I, you know, I think people hate that, right? When yeah. it's only people talking about all the problems and don't bring any solutions to the table. So <laughs> is this some of the solutions? What are, what are some of the things that, you know, if we really want to have change and improvement in our healthcare system that, that we should be asking governments to look at? Very good question. I, where I think it needs to start is, if you will, you know, the very general and, if you will, airy-fairy route, like vision. What do we want out of Canadian healthcare? Do we want it to be public? Do we want a little bit of private what? We need to start deciding that. But then we need to tackle the large questions. Tommy, for Tommy Douglas, when he implemented hospital insurance and then medical insurance, those were huge, huge issues. Um, and very much on the second medical care, he was opposed, but he did it. We, I would say we need the type of politician in place that, uh, that is willing to tackle the large questions. We, the time is passed for tinkering at the edges. It, it's, it's not accomplishing anything different. So, and so, for example, we have had in Canada an example of pharmacare. It worked perfectly. It was then dissolved by the next government, and this took place in Saskatchewan under the premiership of Alan Blakeney. He wanted to continue the Douglas dream because Douglas didn't intend to stop at hospitals and doctors, and so he implemented a pharmacare program. So drugs became completely free in Saskatchewan. He implemented a child dental care program in Saskatchewan. Dental care was free for any child 18 years and under. It's been done, and it's worked. And, and so I think, again, we need to start having discussions of these types of issues. 
So, first of all, what do we really want, public or private? Second, there are historical examples where we've made it work. So this ain't rocket science. It ain't new stuff. It's been done. It's worked. Is that where we want to go again? Do we want free drugs? You know, these types of things. We need to address our seniors issue. Uh, Again, countries have done this. Denmark has an excellent uh, plan in place to keep seniors in their home. It's the cheapest way of dealing with it, and it's what the people want. So why not do it? Denmark's been at this for 30 years. We'd have a lot of catch-up. But we need to start defining these issues and tackling these issues. And they are not going to be simple issues. There's going to be a heck of a lot of discussion around them because right now we have a fairly large private sector um, proportion, if you will, in seniors' care. And many countries are not that way. Professor, I I could, I think... Uh, spend the next hour talking to you about this issue and and we would have so much to discuss, but I'm going to have to wrap it up. Thank you so much for uh, being with us uh, this morning and giving us a little bit of context on this conversation and a little bit of advice. I think you're right. I think we we do need uh, a a deep discussion about this issue. I think Torontonians and uh, uh, people in Ontario and, and across the country are having it because people are fed up with uh, uh, the way that that things are going right now. And I think they very much uh, identify this and and tie it to our Canadian identity. And they want to make sure that we continue uh, to be an example of good healthcare a system like we were many years ago. And we go back to that. So, Professor, thank you so much for uh, for joining us today. Uh, this is definitely a topic that we're going to continue to cover in here. Uh, thank you. And... Um, uh, Some final uh, thoughts are going to be coming up uh, soon. And I'm Anna Bailao. You're listening to Toronto This Weekend on 640 Toronto.